Oh, hey, I'm Julia Hole. It's been a long winter. I'm so glad to see the daffodils popping up. I'm a PhD candidate studying biology and ecology and host of the podcast WTF Biology. Last episode, Dr. Mike Remke and I discussed mycorrhizal fungi. These are root-associated fungi found in association with roughly 80 to 90% of all land plants. Both Mike and I study these awesome symbioses for our PhD. I asked him if there was a scientist who has changed the way that he thinks about science. His answer? Nancy Johnson. Mike said that Nancy's contagious positivity and curiosity and encouragement to see everyone, everyone, as colleagues, carries the most weight in his scientific training. And I agree with this assessment of Nancy. She is a badass scientist who is insanely creative and deserves a gigantic ego. But as she is the most down-to-earth person who genuinely values all contributions affording the field of mycorrhizology and science in general. Nancy is a Regents Professor in the School of Earth and Sustainability at Northern Arizona University and is one of the worldwide experts on mycorrhizal fungi, especially arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi. If you remember from the last episode, arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, or AMF, are found on the inside of plant roots, especially plants like crops, tropical trees, grasses, and tons of other things. I interviewed Nancy for episode two, WTF biologist Rachel Carson. We had such a great conversation. I wasn't able to use the entire conversation for that episode, so there's so much more that we're gonna hear today in this mini episode. WTF biologist Nancy Johnson. I'm Nancy Johnson. I am a professor of ecology at Northern Arizona University. And I study soil ecology mostly, and I'm interested in uh, mycorrhizae and other soil organisms. Yeah, kind of from an ecosystem perspective, I guess. Excellent. Okay, so how long have you been in academia? Well, I guess that depends on how you define academia. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly. So. I, I guess I it's in kindergarten, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, so, so um, maybe maybe we can say higher education. All right. Uh, let's see. I I finished uh, high school and then I went on to the University of Minnesota. And I studied biology. I got a Bachelor of Science in Biology. And then I worked for about three years for different organizations, uh, the Nature Conservancy, the Bureau of Land Management, uh, St. Paul Science Museum. And then I went back and got a master's uh, in botany. And then I, my husband and I moved back to Minnesota and I got a PhD uh, in ecology with a minor in plant pathology. And then I uh, became a full-time mom, and I was unemployed for about three years. And fortunately, I got an NSF postdoctoral fellowship. And I, uh, when my husband wasn't liking his job with the Nature Conservancy anymore, I started looking for uh, academic positions. Uh, and I actually got the first job I applied for, 
oh, wow. in Arizona <laughs> University. <laughs> and I think I think what what I had in my favor is um, I just kept uh, working, picking away at uh, learning more about mycorrhizae in my basement. And I like mm-hmm. to write, so I had published a lot of papers. And I studied something that most people didn't study at the time. So most everything that I discovered was worth publishing. Um, and it was just lucky, you know. I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, the mycologist at the um, Northern Arizona University had retired and they weren't able to fill his position initially. So the biology department was desperate for somebody who studied fungi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the job actually was uh, in environmental sciences. And so I applied for this position in environmental sciences. And because of what I did and still do actually has quite a bit of relevance for uh, restoration ecology um, and environmental issues and agriculture, I actually, uh, they kind of made the position for me. They hired somebody for the position that was actually advertised and then uh, the Department of Biology uh, worked with environmental sciences to come up with this position. <laughs> and I have been here now um, going on 24 years. It's a really uh, great fit for me. I, I really like the environmental science uh, practical side of things. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy ecological theory uh, as it relates to soil ecology. So this has been a wonderful place. Uh, and Flagstaff, Arizona is a great place to raise kids. When we got here, my son was uh, just starting kindergarten. Very happy in Flagstaff and very happy at Northern Arizona University. So I've been in, you know, teaching in, a, in an academic position for 24 years. Okay, awesome. And all in the same job, and it was the first job I applied for. When I was applying, looking to go to grad schools, I was looking at, you know, at where the leaders in the field of mycorrhizae were, and I was like, Nancy Johnson and Kitty Gary are in the same place? I have to go there. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's been great, you know, and, and having, you know, Kitty here, we, yeah, we really have enjoyed you know, we collaborate when we can, but I think we're, we're often on each other's, you know, students' committees, uh, and it's just fun. It's just fun to work with her. Have you come across any challenges in your career that you think are due primarily to your gender? Oh, yeah. The the very first challenge I, I, I came upon was uh, when I was an undergraduate, and I uh, finally decided to declare my major as biology. Mm-hmm. And I went to the, um, you know, biology office and they assigned me an advisor. Back then, you know, all my majors had a professor who was assigned to be their advisors. So I was uh, assigned to an older gentleman. I won't name him, but he was a, <laughs> an elderly uh, plant physiologist. And uh, I knew I wanted to study something to do with plant biology at the time. And uh, so I visited him for the first time. And, you know, by this time, I realized I really enjoyed uh, research. I wanted to probably go on for a Ph.D. and become a biology researcher. And 
So that's what I told him, and he nodded his head, and his very next question was, well, do you want to have a family? And I said, yes, of course. And then he looked at me straight in the eye and said, you can't do both. So I thanked him and left his office and went right back to the biology office, and I said, I need a new advisor. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, uh, they they assigned me a new advisor, uh, and... uh, uh, she was a woman who ended up not getting tenure, but at least she didn't tell me I couldn't get a Ph.D. and have a family. Uh, you know, what advisor would tell a young man that they can't have a family to get a Ph.D., you know? So that was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I truly believe women make very good scientists, but I also believe that, you know, we we can do it all. Uh, it's just better if we don't try to do it all at the same time. Um, which is which is why I actually became uh, a happily unemployed mother working on science in my basement <laughs> for three years. Um, it was, uh, you know, that was time well spent. And mm-hmm. honestly, I, I feel like, you know, some of my best insights came from, you know, just sitting quietly watching children. It's really good for science to have people who have a perspective of, you know how the the world works in maybe a slightly different way just because of their their life experiences and it's i think important to be patient and sometimes you know just you know when you're with kids and you know they're studying you know their basic science and then you look at some you know basic science question and say oh my gosh <laughs> i never really <laughs> thought about it in slightly you know in that way so Sometimes going back to the basics and thinking in a different way is is also really insightful. So, yeah, if there's definitely no one way to do it. Certainly. You know, and the other thing is about kids, like kids are scientists. Like they're yeah. trying to figure out the world. Um, and so, you know, seeing kids perform the, the scientific process in their day-to-day little life challenges, I think, can be really, um, really helpful, too, in, in just coming up with those creative solutions. Absolutely. That's right. And and I I really am sad when, you know, people have such a limited uh, perspective of how science works that they think that, you know, we have to be, you know, calling each other formal names and, you know, putting up more barriers than there already are. Um, right. So... Yeah, yeah. It all we need to be down, taking down barriers. Exactly, taking down barriers, and it all comes down to, you know, seeing the world and even recognizing the question. Sometimes it's just like right in front of our nose, but we didn't really see it because, you know, we, you know, we we block it out. So, you know, children are really great about asking those really basic questions, <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My favorite example is my kid asked me once. Why is the sky blue? And not like why, you know, why is the sky blue, but like why do we call the sky blue? Because the sky is a lot of different colors, you know. And that yeah. made me go, oh yeah, the sky <laughs> is gray and pink and purple and orange. And and why is it blue? Why do we say that it's blue? Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's good to I think see the world differently and and be open to you know understanding how other people might see it differently, too. Uh, 
Okay, so I have one last question, and it's kind of a silly one. What is the craziest thing that has happened to you while you're doing research? So this could be in the lab, um, at, in the greenhouse, in the field. Huh. Craziest thing. Well, yeah, I guess a really a memorable uh, thing it was when I was doing my Ph.D. research. And back then, uh, of course, we all assume that mycorrhizae are always beneficial. Mm. They were the textbook. They were the textbook example that, of mutualism, yeah. right? Yeah, and that was that's part of the definition, or or it was yeah. part of the definition. It it was it was part of the definition, and so I was studying uh, spore communities um, of different my, our muscular mycorrhizal fungal spore communities in a, a, a corn soybean rotation experiment, and I was collaborating with a, a fellow. Uh, Bill Copeland, who was a Ph.D. student in agronomy, and so he had all kinds of uh, crop performance data, you know, the yield of the corn, the yield of the soybean, and, um, you know, the tissue concentrations of things like phosphorus and um, copper and zinc, you know, things, micronutrients, and so mm-hmm. he had all those data, and then I had all these four data uh, that we put together and just some simple uh, you know, correlations and regressions. And of course, when I first did the analysis, uh, with a very primitive statistical tools back then, but uh, I first did the plot, I, I of course expected there to be positive relationships with, the, you know, the populations of these fungi. <laughs> and <laughs> it was quite clear that there were negative relationships. Uh, and, you know, I, I just, it was kind of like this light bulb just kind of turned on. It's like, Holy cow, I didn't sleep that night because it, it was like, really? Uh, it suggested, you know, there could be, you know, some sizable growth depressions that could be linked to um, these mycorrhizal symbioses. And about that same time, there were some other publications coming out that were really clearly documenting growth depressions caused by mycorrhizae. So, um, yeah, that was you know, kind of a turning point in my own career. It was early on, and it didn't go over real well with um, uh, <laughs> certain individuals on my committee who, again, will uh, remain nameless. They just said, oh, you must have made a mistake. It can't be. And I just said, no, I'm sure this is this is the pattern. Um, yeah. You know, but I wasn't the only person finding it. So, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, when you find something that's unexpected, it's probably the most important discovery, you know, you could have. And, you know, oftentimes when undergraduate students are are testing hypotheses with various experiments and they don't get what they expected and they said, oh, it didn't work, I'll say, no, actually it did work. (laughs) (laughs) You're not actually, you don't understand the question or, you know, there's something missing from, you know, our conceptual model of how this world works. So, um yeah, I remember that uh, very well. I remember the room I was sitting in and the apartment we were living in. You know, <laughs> kind of like, where were you when you know the space shuttle blew up? And I, where were right. I when, when maybe, like the light bulb went on and like, oh my gosh! So yeah, that was. I guess that was one of the memorable uh, events. Yeah, 
Yeah, and now that's kind of one of the fundamental um, aspects of mycorrhizology is that this um, mutualism, commensalism, antagonism, um, all these different things that we thought were separate buckets now are different points along the same spectrum. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, in fact, I wrote a, a paper about that. Um, after I gave a talk at the first international conference on mycorrhizae, and it was not well received. I felt like I was being hazed by the audience after, you know, I, uh, it was, I, I put this forward along with Jim Graham and, um, Andrew Smith, and oh, people did not like what we had proposed at all, and it was such an, it was just such a horrible experience after that talk, that I I was inspired to write a paper to, you know, kind of explain it. And it's funny, to this day, that's the paper that's most cited that I've published. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because it gets cited nowadays probably as much as it did back then. So, um, and that, that paper was published in 1997. So, um, yeah, it, if, if we're lucky, we, you know, we can make discoveries that make a difference. And uh, I think the key is to just keep on looking. I think that's great advice for all people, not just scientists. Keep on looking. One of the things that I will always remember Nancy Johnson saying is, quote, the more you look, the more you see, end quote. We can't make new discoveries without looking. And more importantly, it doesn't matter how much you have already discovered, there's always lots more waiting to be discovered. Another lesson from Nancy is that different people are going to see different things. So the more eyes we have on a problem, the sooner that problem will be solved, and all the more will be discovered, especially if people are looking at that problem from different perspectives. So this is it for this mini episode of WTF Biology. Thank you to the amazing Nancy Johnson for being a rock star scientist as well as an awesome person. Next week's episode will be a conversation I had with Dr. Dave Lytle of Oregon State University. He and I sat down on the banks of the Colorado River to talk about how insects and other aquatic invertebrates have evolved to disturbances in the rivers of Western North America. It was a great conversation, and I really appreciate Dave allowing me to distract him from the work he was doing collecting samples during the spring disturbance flow. You can check out the mini-episode released on March 24, 2001 to hear more about that. But basically, due to some maintenance that needed to be done on the Glen Canyon Dam on the border of Utah and Arizona, the amount of water released from the dam was reduced to about a third of the average for this time of year, and that meant that the water levels in the Colorado River got really low. After the maintenance was completed, the water levels increased to just shy of double what's normal for this time of year. And the hypothesis behind this was that the springtime disturbance flow would mimic natural disturbance in the Colorado River helping to restore more natural balance in the ecosystem. It will be interesting to see the results of that test as more data is collected and the numbers are crunched. At any rate, at any rate, Dave and I talk about why disturbances are a good thing in Western North America, especially in rivers. If you're enjoying WTF Biology, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTF Biology. At the buck a month level, 
You'll get access to tons of bonus content, including a secret for each of the full episodes. The secrets contain a behind-the-scenes look and include a moral to the story. At the five buck a month level, you'll get access to exclusive videos. The latest video up there is a conversation between Dr. Mike Remke and myself about microbes with fungi. And I'll be posting some more cool ass nature shit videos soon. Life has been pretty crazy for me lately, but I'm hoping to get back into making these short little videos where I walk around the forest by my home or wherever I happen to be and point out shit that I think is cool. As always, music for this episode is by Dr. Ron Deckert. You can find him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash ron hyphen Deckert. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and or TikTok. I'm at WTF underscore biology in all of those places. If you know fucky stuff about biology or ecology and would like to be on the show, please message me on any one of the social medias, or you can email me at WTFbiology at gmail.com. All right, thanks for listening, everybody, and I will see you guys next week.